You're listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. For someone to explain. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Welcome to episode number 36 of the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Stuart Lyric. Stu is a specialist kicking coach from Australia and comes from an Aussie rules background. After a semi-professional playing career, he began coaching with a VFL team and really connected with the coaching process. With a keen interest in kick-catch, Stu then found himself in rugby union and rugby league after moving to Brisbane 15 years ago. He's now with the NEC Green Rockets rugby in Japan's top league, was recently appointed as the account manager for Australia and New Zealand for Coach Logic, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Stu, so welcome. Andy, thank you very much uh, for having me, and congratulations on, did you say 36 episodes, or this yeah, is number this, 36? this is number 36, yeah. Well done to you. I, I know, uh, look, there's probably not a lot of rugby podcasts around. Obviously, that's why you are the number one. But in terms of <laughs> that, uh, in terms of that, I think to sustain that takes a lot of effort, a lot of dedication uh, and a lot of late nights by the sounds of it as well. So well done to you. And, and I've been listening to uh, virtually all of them. I think there's a couple I need to catch up on uh, from recent times, but enjoyed everyone. So thanks for uh, thanks for sharing and putting that, that out to the wider rugby community. Oh, awesome, mate. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I love doing it. And yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's uh, it's super rewarding. And especially, you know, when I get to transfer everything I learned from the show, not only what people listen to, um, you know, on to, you know, when I coach, it's it's uh, it's worth it totally. So yeah, thanks Absolutely. again. Cheers. All right, so we touched a little bit on your your playing and coaching. So we'll go into a bit more depth there about um, your Aussie rules uh, playing and coaching, and then how that's transferred into rugby. Sure, Andy. Well, I can tell you that they're definitely not going to write a book on on my backstory. In fact, you said touched touched on it. I think you've probably you, you've probably you've probably said it all. Look yeah. for me. I always remember when I was in year 12 at school, also about 15 years old, the, the Australian Sports Commission uh, had a program where, um, uh, where, where they would actually empower young people in their last year of high school to actually go to primary schools within their city or within their town. I think it was called Aussie Sports Leaders or something like that. Okay. And it was, it was general sports coaching for primary school kids that they were actually allowing teenagers to do. There wasn't, you know, perhaps as is the case these days, there probably wasn't a lot of training and foundation and um, development that they put in. But I, I always remember being captured by uh, running sessions and, and, and coaching people, particularly those that are younger than myself way back then. So whether you say it's been in my blood or, or, or not, I'm not sure. But I've always, um, you know, I've always been connected to the, although I'm not a, a qualified teacher per se, um, I've always been well connected to the the teaching process. So, to to have to have that as an interest after finishing playing football was an easy transition for me. Whereas I think for a lot of people that um, set their sights only on on a playing career in sport um, may find that a little more challenging. Certainly that transition time, but. For me, with my uh, with my football, as you said, it was semi-professional. I grew up down south in um, in Australia, which is, as you know, AFL heartland. Sadly, growing up, yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, I, I have I have to say, I know I'm on the rugby um, coaches' corner podcast, and and I work in rugby league, and well, predominantly rugby union now. 
but I, I do love all sports. And I think mm. from a coaching point of view, it's it's important for our learning that if we're able to sure. to just open our minds up a bit, there's mm. a whole lot we can learn from coaches of other sports. So I, I, I look at, you know, I guess all of my uh, touch points with sport, including, you know, a, a, a brief history playing at, at Norwood and uh, a tiny bit at Williamstown in the VFL there that, you know, those experiences, um, almost like bank deposits, even though they were a long time ago, I think if we use them wisely, they can help us to, you know, to, to, to be on our journey or continue on our journey uh, wherever we may take that, even if that's uh, in a business sense rather than a coaching sense. Yeah, I totally agree. And it probably probably leads me into, you know, the first question is, you know, what what from, from your Aussie Rules experience, what, what are some of the, the key things that rugby coaches can take away from, from, from the Aussie Rules game in terms of kick-catch? Well, the first thing I'll say, Andy, and, and look, I'm, I, I'm not sure of the context of this exactly, but in the part of the world that I live in, Queensland, which is dominated by the, um, the, the rugby codes uh, from a partition, participation pardon me, perspective, um, certainly from, from the number of teams, uh, the AFL is quite strong and it certainly continues to grow. But there is a perception that has been for a long time that, um, that there's a, if you've played Australian rules football, you'd make a really good coach mm. um, or certainly they, in inverted commas, AFL players kick really well. So we should just get someone that's played AFL to come and coach. So this, this perception, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm here to break it down, but uh, in any sport, there are good practitioners and, and not so good practitioners, but we have this perception in rugby that um, AFL players are better kickers. Now the sport requires it. And I certainly think at the highest level in the Australian rules, uh, sorry, the AFL competition, there are a lot of players that aren't actually elite kicks of the ball, but you know, they still look smooth. They still look nice and it's all silky and it's a different way to kick perhaps um, visually to look at on the screen. But um, yeah, it, it's just not something that we should say because it's Australian rules football that um, mm. we'll just get anyone in to coach, I, I, I guess. And really, I, I guess the extension of that point is that regardless of, of what we're coaching, rather than rather than drills, we still need to make sure that our coaching principles uh, are, are sound and you know, able to be adapted to that sport that we are going to coach. To answer your question, though, Andy, I've, I've digressed, haven't I? That's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 look, the, the thing that I would say uh, from a rugby point of view, um, the best AFL kickers, so not all, but the best AFL kickers or kickers of an Australian rules football are very highly adaptable, and I think that's something that we need to uh, we need to understand as skills coaches or as coaches that are looking to incorporate kicking into our rugby programs. That uh, with with Australian rules football being a three sixty degree uh, game, those perhaps your your listeners that aren't familiar with it, with having no offside and and seemingly teammates and defenders at any angle around your um, periphery, uh, it, it does promote players to have to be uh, very adaptable at, at how they kick the ball, certainly how they play the game. But but uh, from, from a, I suppose, from a kicking point of view, um, that would be the thing that I would say is um, something that we can learn in rugby. And I guess to extend that further, what I'm saying is that Australian rules football really asks you to be able to be very good at, at uh, using your time and space that's available because pressure is, is effectively um, anywhere and everywhere. If we look at the catching perspective as well, now that that's probably something that, uh, well, in my experience, it's something that that's very much undercoached in uh, in rugby. Absolutely, yeah. And something that I'm I'm quite passionate about. I think that when we look at uh, when we look at catching, I think what Australian rules football can teach uh, rugby coaches about catching is that 
if you think back to when you were a boy, Andy, which I know wasn't that long ago. Oh, it was long enough. Out, yep. <laughs> and, and, and there are still coaches coaching this way now, but you remember the, the, the if, if you were a back or a fullback and you're looking to, to take that, that high catch, it was all about self-preservation, turning the body, mm. or you'd even hear the coaches talking about dominate the space, which I still hear today. But for me, what I find most of those coaches really mean when they're talking about dominate the space is the space in front of the player between he and the, or she, pardon me, and, and their defender. But what I believe AFL can teach us, and I, I try to incorporate this into my coaching as well, is that for me, dominate the space or create a dominant position in the catch is actually looking above the catch line. So if you picture now, and I guess your, your, your listeners, if, if they were to picture uh, a player, one knee up, looking to jump, and they've got the, um, the open palms looking to the sky, all those together in that mm-hmm. sort of bucket catch position. Yeah. But but that space straight ahead of you and in front of you is what what most coaches would like to coach dominate that space. But mm. this is what I call the catch line right there. For me, the magic and the opportunity is above that catch line. So if you can get a nice leap, obviously time you leap, you can get higher than the other player, but perhaps above the catch line, then I think we can start to um, we can start to um, take more catches for ourselves or start to uh, create this dominance in the contest. And I guess, again, I'm talking about even, um, dare I say it, I know you're going to have some people that might um, <laughs> risk having an accident when they uh, when they hear this, but I'm saying use your hands as well. I think yeah, that's like definitely... Like an overhead position. Uh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Now, a lot of the... A lot of the a lot of the mindset in uh, in rugby has come from sort of playing safe and preserving ourselves from from injury and other mm-hmm. things. But uh, what Australian rules football teaches all of us, really, and again, it's how I was raised, is that that ball is your only focus. And if we are committed to the ball um, with only thoughts and eyes for it, then I believe we stand a better chance of catching it and not getting injured. Again, yeah. this, this is a little bit controversial for a lot of people I know, but... Um, you know, it's a risk and reward. I, I certainly think that uh, the space above this catch line and the opportunity to to start coaching in the hands um, where that opportunity presents. Obviously, you're not going to uh, you're not going to be required to do that uh, on every catch attempt. But certainly, when you've got two or three defenders around, um, I, I think that you need to get up above that. Yeah, well, and you're seeing a lot of that come in, especially in sevens with restarts and restarts in general. You'll you'll tend to see the kicking team when they're competing for that ball in the air that that, that a lot of the successful um restart restart turnovers are as a result of that overhead catch yes yes absolutely Great. absolutely and for anyone that uh, uh it, it didn't quite follow my uh my description through the radio then if you if you put in some sort of a Google search or a YouTube search for Australian rules football, high marks or high catches, you'll certainly know what I'm talking about. And hopefully it would start to break down your perception of, of safety. And it's all about building skill. And if you're competent in your skill and you've got uh, nice strong hands and soft fingers, then, you know, I, I believe anything's possible in the right, um, in the right scenario. All right, sweet. Okay. So from now that you've, you're, you're pretty immersed in the, in the rugby uh, community, what what are some of the most common errors you see in the area of kick catch, uh, and and then to reverse those, what are some of the favourite coaching cues you use? Sure, Andy. I, I guess look, this is probably not what you'd say is an is an error per se, but I I, I mentioned before one of the, the the biggest things for me or the underlying themes with my coaching is helping players 
improve their use of time and space. So that might just be take the pass, get into the kick, or it might be you could be a, a back three, um, the opposition's kicked over your head and they've turned you around. Just, just for you to be able to use the time to get to the ball to make the decision on whether we, uh, we exit or whether we run, uh, and certainly getting yourself into that position to be able to, to do it effectively rather than um, plot along to get back and obviously waste that valuable time in doing so. So this is not an error, but it's certainly something that, uh, that is common, uh, a common observation for myself. Players that are uh, very, very loose in the way that they kick so I'd use the word compact. If we imagine a compact player is someone that um, certainly gets the gets the job done, gets the kick executed in a in a fashion that's fast and efficient, uh, but also fluent and smooth as well. It, this is really the pathway that I want to work players towards uh, kicking. But those that don't have a lot of, uh, I suppose I was going to say kick volume, but those that haven't really been coached yeah. uh, with structure or framework. Tend to tend to not have yet identified or understood this concept of time and space. So that's certainly one thing that I would uh, um, would say as a as an error or an observation. And the other one too, Andy, is 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 one that I've look. This is terminology I've developed for myself, and I'm sure lots of other skills coaches would have observed this. But um, I I call it the ball outside the gate. So often a a player, if we talk about alignment to target. Um, for, for argument's sake, if we're kicking down a straight line, uh, the gates are your legs, so or, or basically between your hips. Mm-hmm. When I'm talking to a group of players, I tend to refer, uh, I tend to tap my thighs and refer to my legs. But wherever we're facing, that ball really needs to stay in there for the ride. Now, I'm not going to go down the path of saying, hey, you should hold it and it should be aligned over the kicking leg as perhaps was the case when I was a kid. But mm. if you imagine that, that we, are walk, or we are running down a particular path now and if we change direction to the right or to the left, often you'll find that that ball, the player won't bring that ball back still inside the gates to keep that, um, to keep that impact line. Right. So they're, they're shifting their hips in their direction, but the, the ball can either skew inside or outside based on not bringing it in. So, uh, again, this is just something that, that ties into to being compact with our movements, but also keeping the ball with an alignment that allows us to get that nice, sweet strike through that line that we're aiming for. Okay, I like, I like that. Yeah, because I find coaching, coaching in North America, like it, there's – Apart from soccer, there's not many kicking sports uh, around. Like there's there's Canadian or American football, but there's one person who does that role. You, you tend to come across a lot of rugby players who who have developed. They might be in their mid twenties and they've developed really poor kicking habits. Yes. And I, I find that from my coaching experience, that's very hard to undo. They tend to be really wooden and. It's it's difficult to get them into a, a good kicking shape and and develop a good kicking technique. Do you, do you find that if they've gotten to a certain point, it's more difficult to wind that back, or or has your experience has been different? Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Absolutely, Andy. And, and I, look, I haven't identified an age. It, it obviously varies between context and country and club mm. and, and what have you. But mm. it's probably it's probably not as old as what we think. You know that that yeah, uh, right. um, that that threshold. Then, and certainly, if you were to to talk to to those that are uh, a lot more academic than myself in these subjects, I, I think they would tend to agree. And certainly, from those conversations that I've had, um, which, which probably well, it probably raises that. Um, importance or, or that conversation that, that, that goes on now about uh, the quality of coaching and um, 
will certainly skill acquisition coaching in that in that junior developmental pathway stage of rugby. Yeah. I think now th this is where we really need to have a lot of that um, that grounding to help them transition to senior rugby. And even if they don't aspire to be professional, still get the most enjoyment out of their own games and performances at whatever level they play. Again, I said there was two, but there's actually three. The, the other observation I have, and again, I probably won't call it an error. Again, it's it's just that it's uh, something that I observe a lot of, with players that perhaps haven't been coached uh, to improve their kicking skill. And it's it's the it's the concept of of transferring weight through the kick. So I, I call that the handbrake or the park break. Mm -hmm. So a lot of players um, are, are leg kickers, or they kick with mostly the power of their leg as a that, that we can having our whole of body go through. So for anyone that, that may have heard any of my my, my work before, I, I'm big on talking about kicking being a whole of body movement. So from a coaching perspective, we need to make sure that um, that, that we we respect that and we incorporate our our observations to to understand that it's a whole of body movement. But from a playing point of view, uh, a lot of players will kick and their their plant foot, be it goal kicking or even uh, uh, kicking in general play tends to be anchored or rooted to the ground, which can create a little bit of um, what's counterproductive from an energy perspective. But we can lose distance and accuracy and control simply by not having our body go through that kick. And I'm not necessarily just talking about um, the follow through that most people would refer in terms of the kicking leg itself. It's not really a, a, a big function that, that that plays. But what we do want to have is our uh, our torso, our pillar, shoulders to hips, moving through that ball and I, I guess posture is very important in that respect so I, I work a lot in improving posture with kicking um, but also having players understand and, and begin to to transfer their weight through the kicks that so makes a massive difference so take the park break off Andy's what we're talking about yeah absolutely oh it sounds great Okay, so when you when you start with a new group, what, what's your first session generally look like? Uh, look, I try to do, I mean, I, regardless of whether you get paid to coach um, or you don't get paid to, to coach, I think we can all be professional, right? So the mm. first thing I would do or, or, or do is, is to try and get some information on the group, uh, maybe some individuals, uh, maybe I'll talk to the head coach and I guess from my perspective, for the benefit of the of your listeners, I, I'm seen as a project coach. Now, even though I have a week-to-week uh, a -week over-the-season job uh, with a premier grade club here in Brisbane, most of the work where I travel to other countries or work with other teams, uh, I'm seen as a project coach. So I, I may not necessarily know uh, much or anything about a playing group. So I'd like to, uh, if I've got the opportunity, I'm, I, I guess this is not necessarily for your academy or your school level, but if there's film on players, um, I might have a, a pre-meeting or a phone call or a, a coach might send me some information about the group or about specific individuals. And I think that's really important because anything that I've got up my sleeve uh, will help me with my observations when I first meet them, but it also helped me plan for for my sessions uh, and the specific activities as well. So that that's that's the first thing that I'd say is preparation is key from that point of view if you can. But as is often the case, uh, you you're not able to. But what I don't do, Andy, is I don't start at the start. Mm. I don't I don't have in my mind. Look, I, I never have any preconceived ideas about uh, how a group should be kicking. So I don't. I don't walk in with the, uh, if there was a textbook for kicking, I'd like to see it, but I don't walk in with the textbook and say, um, 
the first thing that they'll really need to know is about how to grip. So we'll do a little grip station, then we'll do the approach, and then we'll do the drop, and then we'll do. So for me, it just doesn't work like that. And and any uh, any coach worth their salt would understand that now that it that it that it's applied in a different way. So I jump in within the context. I still want them to reach and be challenged. I I, I go for chaos. I go for mm-hmm. uh, for active, but I also go for. I go for activities that involve a whole of group so that that in one 10 or 15 minute block of a game or a scenario, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at their movement. I'm looking at how they align. I'm looking at their use of time and space. I'm looking at all the things that that I should as a kicking coach, but but under pressure uh, with some decision making. And it might not be. Well, often it's not specifically uh, geared towards the game of rugby. So it's not strict scenario. But it's not too novel either that it's that far away. And I guess from from there, what it does, it helps me um, almost take a snapshot of where I think the group is at, um, and also help me individually make some observations that I can help players further on in the session or the program. I, I hope that makes sense. I try to make it very act, very active, um, but also challenging because I think this um, this 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 zone where we're making mistakes and is a little bit ugly um, and uncomfortable. Uh, is certainly where the learning takes place. But I'm always careful to make sure that I set the tone for the session or the program, what I'm looking to achieve and what I'd hope they'd like to achieve as well. So no one's made to feel uncomfortable for making mistakes. Mm -hmm. We try and make sure that it's a safe environment and they understand what we're trying to achieve together before we do that. So it's all set up uh, in that way to allow for that. Yeah, cool. And that that kind of leads me to my next question too. Like, you know, being being a backs coach, I can create a game basing session about any any general part of rugby, whether it, whether it be attack or or the breakdown or tackle or catch pass decision making, all that. I, I find that no problems to make a large percentage of my sessions games based. I've always struggled to make kicking games based, and it sounds like exactly what you're talking about there is that you make it very games based, uh, which it should be. Which and you know, I like that word chaos and. You know, I, I totally agree that you know when when athletes are uncomfortable, that's where that's where the learning happens. It may not look the prettiest, and neither does rugby yep. sometimes. So, you know, a lot of the times. So, um, how, how do you how do you go about what what's some examples that you could possibly, you know, articulate on a on a audio podcast about how you make your your kicking sessions games based? Sure. Well, I guess that before I get to that, I'd, I'd say that. Uh, uh, again, having an understanding of of the program you're working in. Uh, let's say you're working for a particular team. So uh, the head coach and the assistant coaches have, have all got a philosophy of game play, game style, mm-hmm. obviously to a point where they've got set shapes and uh, and structures. So I I need to have what I, I feel I need to have is I need to have a technical work on component. I, I won't use the word technique, but but I'll call it technical. And we also have the what what specifically the coaches want to achieve uh, during a game, and I need to be able to intertwine those two things together. Um, often, what I do is if I'll have a if I have a scenario that the the, the coaches would want, um, then I might have a couple of dropout stations running in tandem or alongside that. Again, it depends on um, the type of club you're working for, and many many coaches out there won't uh, won't have 
won't have uh, support or someone else to be able to help them. And, and I find that's quite the case for me as well. I'm usually the guy, if I'm working at a, an amateur club or a community club, usually you're the guy in the corner that no one no one helps. You're sort of on your own. So you, you, you learn to look after yourself. But uh, look, to, to answer that question from a specific sp- sp- uh, perspective, pardon me, if it can't be a game, then it must be a challenge. So not not all the time are you going to have 5v5 or 6v6 or, or 8v8 or even mm. 15 versus 15 to be able to do this. So yeah, I, I understand I understand people may be listening thinking, well, he coaches uh, professionally. It's easy with such big numbers. But look, still a, a fair portion of my work when I'm, I'm not in Japan um, is at the junior uh, and, and amateur level or semi-professional level. And sometimes you turn up to a session, you're expecting 12, but there's only six. What do you do? So if you can't play a game, then you must be able to, I guess the cliche is think on your feet, but if we can create a challenge, um, a challenge against each other, uh, uh, you know, if you can't have the numbers to make a game, then I, I guess you've got to try and find some sort of competitive aspect that you can bring into it. For, for me, Andy, I, I guess it, it can vary, but I have probably uh, four or five core activities that are geared towards the general scenarios that every team would face within a game. Mm. So you'd have the one where... Uh, down the tram line, there might be a, a big kick over the head of um, over the head of the the oncoming, say, an original chase. So the ball's gone down the tram line inside the 22. We've turned we've turned say the back three around. Yep. Um, the team that have kicked have, have obviously worked a nice hard connected chase. Depending on again what your team philosophy is at NEC, we work on hard. Uh, hard chase and uh, and getting our connection. So you can bring a few elements into it. Yeah, but, for sure. Um, a, a game could be putting that in a smaller area with smaller numbers. It might be 4v4. So then you can, you can just rotate. Uh, the kicking team becomes the chasing team. Now, if we've got a, if we've got a, a framework, um, a decision that needs to be made for, for the, for the now team in possession, do they do they link up and support and try and run that ball? Um, do they go into uh, do they go into a ruck if there is enough numbers, or what sort of assessment can we make? Do we have to kick it out? So I, I guess the game should all be based on on having them have those choices that they would have as part of the game plan, but yeah. the session needs to be able to test them and their ability to make that decision in that in that moment. And there's also a, look the, the one that I, I like to play before any before any specifics uh, that might relate to what the coaches want uh, for their for their team, it's 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 like a game of touch football on a small pitch, very modified with markers. And I have two two in goal areas, one behind the other at each end, and they are kicking zones for points. So it's it's touch football with say three touches and and you can uh, and a turnover, but at any time you can kick for for more points. So you get more points to kick it in that in goal area oh, cool. without it being caught or diffused as opposed to a try. So you're bringing the elements of the of touch football and skill and catch pass, but also giving the uh, the license to kick and, again, try and find space. Yeah, and I usually mix, tactically. That's right. So I usually mix that up with uh, kicks coming in, kicks to the pocket. Uh, we might look at it. Um, uh, obviously, there's the contestable area as well. Different teams that have their own policies on on, on when and who. Obviously, it's usually the... Uh, usually the nine or the scrum half, but I, I think if you if you can't make a game, you could certainly make a challenge for points mm. or a challenge against the the other players to bring out that competitive nature and try and build some of those pressures that may exist in a game. Although that is very difficult. 
No, that's great. No, definitely some things to things to take away there, and I'll, I'll be definitely rolling that out this season uh, with some of those ideas. And and you know, I think I think it's great just to get ideas like that, and then you just adapt them to your environment and change the rules as you see fit. And like during during that time, are you then identifying? individually okay uh, i that person needs this bit of advice that person needs this bit of advice i question here question their drip feed um, yes that way yep absolutely spot spot on and i guess if it's a if it's a player you know well you, you're in the the training and the playing uh, performing match cycle then you've already got an inbuilt understanding of how they performed on the weekend or what their last three games have been like and if you've had that conversation mm-hmm. with them yeah. uh, about that he or she should already know what uh, what you're working towards, and I guess that's their opportunity to do that without being uh, being overcoached as such or having that license to do that in that situation. So it's spot on, Andy. Yeah, and it sounds also that that a lot of those kind of games you're relying heavily on implicit learning rather than you know you being you know the 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 knowledgeable coach who can who can explain every facet of of kick catch. Yes, I have to say though that look, it took me it took me a really long time, <laughs> maybe longer than <laughs> maybe longer than maybe longer than others. And I think this mm. is a really good good age now for uh, for, for for coaches in terms of um, really understanding what good practice is in terms of coaching behaviour. But that definitely was not the way that I mm. uh, used to coach uh, earlier. And, and and certainly when you when you're trying to prove yourself. Um, Self-image is a big thing, and I was—I connected it to to what I do for a job, and I guess my job is slightly. Oh, look, I think everyone's a kicking coach, really, Andy, because mm. if you coach a rugby team, you're a kicking coach, right? You, yeah. You, you, you have to help your players somehow. But in terms of what I did, I think I took—I uh, I made too much emphasis on uh, understanding a lot of um, a lot about movement principles, a lot about you know the technical aspects of of kicking, but course as we only know too well there's, there's just only so much information that's actually truly effective mm. right then and there in the in the moment for our players so i i worked on um certainly i feel like i'm still working on 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 my feedback delivery the frequency the amount mm-hmm. but when you've got when you've got your own little it's almost like your own little vocab that your players begin to understand mm-hmm. and this is where i think that working with a team with continuity allows I mean, let's face it. You, you would agree, I'm sure, that relationships and, and connectivity are everything. Absolutely. And when you have when you have a new group, you know, particularly, you know, I, I've travelled to, to you know to various countries, and it's not just going to different cultures. But you know, if, if I've got terminologies or analogies for certain things they haven't heard of, then I know that it's going to take them a little while, maybe two or three times, to have heard that. That does require some explanation. So you might not get traction uh, for a couple of sessions in, yeah. in some instances. But I, I think less is definitely uh, less is definitely more. And if you have some analogies in those cues, then that one word would would be a whole sentence to a player's understanding. Oh, you don't have to, yeah. Because I think flow, particularly with 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 the way that I want my sessions to be, I, I'm certainly encouraging of 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 giving them a framework to try and solve problems. And mm. and okay, if it if it doesn't work out or they make a mistake, and often with a new group, I'm not necessarily looking for them to kick goals. Or hit that target. My my main objective is is actually to see how the player moves because to me that's more important at that stage. But yeah, uh, yeah couldn't agree more. It's all about uh, uh, say, saying less to achieve more. Okay, great, awesome. Okay, and during during your sessions or even post session, what what um what what kind of expectations do you place on players in order to to take ownership of their own skill development? 
Look, again, I suppose I answered that partly in the last question. I've, I've always felt, regardless of what business you're in, what sport you're in, um, the world turns based on the quality of relationships. So that would depend on on how well the player knew me and I guess how well I um, I, I knew the player, whether you can go a little bit harder or you, you, you don't go that hard, I, I suppose, mm-hmm. in terms of um, what you might apply for that expectation. But if you've got... If you've got really good buy-in, so if, if even you don't know a player particularly well, I think if they buy into your philosophy, um, if they believe in you, then or believe in what you're trying to achieve for them, the whole two-way street, I think it's much easier to be able to have higher expectations of players, even without a, a strong relationship yet. But look, I'm I'm all about trying to to give players the tools, uh, Andy, to to drive their own. Um, you know, to, to be in charge of their own uh, destiny or their own development. So I, I like players to take a bit of ownership there. And it, it can be a little bit confronting for players, uh, particularly it's a challenge at the moment in, in Japan, the, the the culture there, and I'm generalising here, it's not every player, but generally they're quite, they're quite willing for coaches to instruct and tell them what to do. They almost expect mm. it. But um, our, our, our coaching regime, I suppose, at NEC at the moment, um, headed up by uh, Peter Russell and, and Dave Dillon. is certainly about empowering, asking a lot of questions um, and, and putting it to the players to, to to solve those problems, you know, being facilitated and within a framework. But you know, that can be hard. But I want my players to, uh, to to be coached in that way, that I'm also happy for them to um, place expectations on themselves. So, yeah, I, I've probably been really fluffy. I think I have been really fluffy about answering that, <laughs> that <good>. question. <laughs> Um, but it, it, it depends on what they're wanting to achieve for themselves. And I think if you can, you can outline that early enough, mm. um, you know, what they're looking to achieve either from your coaching, I guess from me, it's, it's, it's kick and catch. If it's, if it's about improving their game, then we'll look at what aspects they need to do to improve their game. And before you know it, you've, you've got, a, you've got a, a treasure map there ready to go and yeah. we can just work towards it together. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, if you turn up the practice and you see – a couple of your players uh, 10 minutes before the session starts going through some stuff you worked on last session, you, you're on the right track. Definitely. Yeah. De- that's, exa- that's exactly right. And the old, uh, the old adage, I suppose it was a, a cliche from when I was growing up at Australian colloquialism about leading the horse to water, but yeah. you can't make them drink, right? No, exactly. There's only so much a co- coach can do, but mm-hmm. um, if, if, you've, if you've got the buy and you've inspired them enough, they'll certainly go and make that effort because they can see that there'll be payoff from it for sure. All right, then during, during your sessions, what, what, what kind of technology do you use to assist your, your coaching for kick catch? Uh, look, for me, most of my time is still spent outside of a professional club. So for anyone listening, I, I don't I don't have an exorbitant amount of equipment or technology or a budget a, a, as a coach that uh, mm-hmm. that travels or consults. So for me, I, I've found that there's um, that there, there's certainly been a learning curve in developing these little work hacks for yourself to be able to gather information and, and share it. But this, this, I don't know if this is going to surprise anyone, but there's nothing, there's nothing groundbreaking about what I use. I mean, some examples, Andy, are, uh, I definitely invested in a, in a good camera. I have a GoPro, well, it's a Hero 3 now. It's a couple of years old, but still really high quality camera that has the head strap. Yep. So I, I've used that uh, on a number of occasions with, um, with 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 some teams here in Brisbane with a particular say the a particular player we want the we want the first receiver say the ten to play straight draw the defence 
obviously not passed too early, whatever it might be, whatever your cues are, um, we've used that to show the player that he wasn't actually square mm. and he probably passed too early because we're showing the view from the player's perspective after. Ah, oh, right, the penny can drop. I wouldn't say that that's something you'd use all the time, but I've got uh, the, the GoPro with a head strap. I've got the tripod there. Um, I think my smartphone, my iPhone and my iPad are my best friends. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they, they, they are loaded with, uh, I think I've got coach's eye at the moment, but mm -hmm. uh, there, there are a number of, as you would know, there's a number of motion analysis apps that, uh, that are free or only a couple of dollars that you can put on your phone. And I, I only use that for, for goal kicking. Yeah. I, I think, I think that, uh, you know, the self-paced skill of goal kicking is much easier to technically assess using the tools um, or, or, or the sharing capabilities of that app to the player, uh, or even just to give some in-session feedback is particularly good without drawing, just being able to do uh, a frame by frame uh, if you need to. And sometimes, depending on the club as well, I might have what I call a feedback station on the side of the field. So I'll have a, a picnic table, like a fold-up picnic table with a screen, and my iPad will have a HDMI connection to that screen so if I need to bring a couple of coaches over as well, rather than show them on the phone, uh, I might be able to just in, in between a, um, a session block change, I might be able to just show them some feedback of what I've seen out there as well. So everyone's on the same page, but that's probably from an in-session perspective. Uh, from, a, from a coding point of view, uh, look, I, I, I know how to use sports code. I don't have it on my laptop because mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't earn enough money to have that for myself, but <laughs> but it's usually something that is uh, pride and place at, at a lot of professional uh, rugby clubs, mm. which I've used before from a statistical uh, perspective um, as well. Longo match is something that I've uh, also yeah, used. It's a, a beauty. There's a pro and you've, you've got that yeah, one. Yeah, I love it. Love it. It's, it's incredible the the the. The capabilities of, of of that for free, oh, and if you want to pay a little bit, pay a little bit more. Yeah, you just get uh, you get so much. So there, yeah. there's there's a good tip out there for well, that one's that one's been going. That's been developing for about five or six, maybe even more years, and it's it's right. unreal now. Like compared to where they started to to where it is now, it's like the free version is is outstanding for any club coach. That's that's really pretty good technology right there. Definitely, mm. definitely. Um, now, I guess one of my favorite, you know, I guess favorite areas of coaching is is looking at analysis and feedback, mm -hmm. um, certainly when we're trying to tie that into effective outcomes and improvement for our players. So given that you know, you've got a coding system that's on your laptop, I suppose that missing link often uh, is the case uh, with teams and, and coaches is actually transferring that information, that statistical data to useful information for the players. So I, I guess it goes without saying that um, coach logic is pride of place wherever I am and wherever I, I work for myself, let alone the, the role that I have, because it's just a really, it's just a really functional way of, of enhancing the coaching process and allowing coaches to share information to other computers or players' phones, um, you know, that, 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 that clips all of the things necessary for that player to, uh, to need to know. Why don't we go into that then? Um, you know, we, we had Andy Muir on uh, from Coach Logic early on in the, in, in the podcast and, and, I touched on it a bit in the intro. You're the the account manager for Australia New Zealand. What what's that role entail? And if people if people want to get in touch with you, how's how's the best way to do that? Well, Andy, the the, the role entails, and it only came the opportunity only came uh, late last year when I was I suppose going into that planning phase for for my year this year. And one thing I I've I realised for a long time, as I said earlier, I just love 
talking and communicating with with coaches, coaches of all sports and helping people. So uh, Andy and, and Mark's uh, business, I guess, has grown to a point where uh, down here they've heard about it, which is mm-hmm. which is great. So yeah. essentially servicing the, the existing user base or, or clientele, uh, providing technical support, but also uh, helping to onboard the, uh, the, the the new customers or, or clubs and teams that are uh, are wanting to use the uh, the platform as well. So really, I'm a coach helping coaches, and, and and that's a really nice fit for me. We we certainly don't see ourselves as as salespeople per se, even though it's a a, a business and a product. Uh, we, we certainly feel that because we are coaches and it was it was a it, it's a product that's developed out of our own needs or out of the needs of uh, those that founded it, it, it it is a really good fit for us because it's an extension of what we do anyway helping other people with their coaching practice yeah well I've, I've, I've used it um, in the past and I really like the setup and you know I get nothing from saying this I'm just I'm just saying it as a coach myself that you know I, I like what there is and if people are People are interested. They should definitely at least have a look at it. You know, compared to what else is on the market. Oh, thanks for that, Andy. Look, if if anyone uh, in the Asia Pacific uh, was interested in uh, at least having a look, or uh, look, sometimes Andy, as we we would all know, we, we don't know what we don't know. But uh, if if you're a coach that values uh, the the improvement of your players from a skill and performance perspective, and uh, you do film games, or you're you're wanting to take some uh, some visual representation of performances, then Coach Logic is a is a platform to be able to allow you to do that, and it is geared up uh, and designed for for teams at all levels. It's certainly very affordable. Uh, so if you're in Australia or New Zealand or or in that Asia uh, part of the world, then uh, look, I, I don't know how you'd go about. Uh, Sending an email, uh, Andy, or whether I could say that now. How would you prefer me to? Yeah, well, I can I can put your contact details in the show notes, and then you know, listeners, Perfect. if they're keen, they can uh, they can track you down that way. I'll put your Twitter and your Coach Logic email address in there. And I'm always up for a coaching chat, regardless of uh, regardless <laughs> of that. <laughs> no, no doubt, no doubt. All right, great. Well, we always end the show with the the same uh, final four questions. When you were a kid growing up, who was your who was your favourite? Uh, who was your favourite athlete, footy player, rugby league, uh, rugby union, depending on, on where you're going to go? You're a pretty diverse background. When, who, who, who are the ones who got you into, into the sport? Can I, can I have two for my answer, Andy? Oh, Is that of okay? course, of course. All right. So the first one, because of, uh, because of uh, being a dyed-in-the-wool uh, demon supporter in Melbourne, I wanted to be Robbie Flower. Now, okay. for most of your listeners, that wouldn't... Uh, uh, that wouldn't resonate so much, but no, for me, nothing, as a nothing with me, <laughs> <laughs> as someone who's who's now forty two uh, and hasn't put on a lot of weight since he was sixteen or seventeen, uh, Robbie Flower was 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 not your muscle bound poster boy of Australian rules football. He was a silky, uh, skillful winger, captain of his team for a very long time, played nearly three hundred games, and uh, quite an inst- inspirational player for his state as well. And I guess someone that I um, connected with in, in, in terms of how he played, but I guess the sort of person he was. So, yeah, for many years I wanted to be uh, Robert Flower, but I also wanted to be Wally Lewis. Oh, yeah. Now, that might be a name that uh, even those outside of Rugby Union would know. But It's two uh, weeks in a row that he's been mentioned. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Our last, uh, Scott Allen also, uh, <laughs> that was his favourite. Uh, that's uh, it's such a Queensland thing to oh, totally. uh, to say, but <laughs> in, in terms of inspiration and skill, uh, they, they don't come uh, they don't come in in much better packages yeah, than uh, Wally Lewis. And yeah. at, 
living in Melbourne at the time, that's that's really how I got an interest in in rugby union and rugby league. Um, Andy, it, it, oh, it's <laughs> well back in the day, I had to get up at uh, I had to get up at about oh, five thirty six o'clock on a Sunday morning to 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 tape on my VHS recorder mm. the ABC match of the day from the day before and watch it. And um, that was when the Broncos had, had first started. And, of course, we used yeah. to watch, my family, we used to watch all of the uh, uh, the Wallabies test matches back then as well. But uh, free-to-wear television, I guess, didn't really show a lot of rugby union, even though I was aware of it. And my, my love for both sports really developed from there. Oh, great. Okay. What about now? Who's, uh, who's one of your favourite players going around in rugby? Oh, uh, my... My one of my favourites. That's very good because you can't pick a favourite, can yeah, you? But I'm yeah. I'm going to give a a massive special mention to someone that I know very well and have coached, and that's uh that's Juan Martin Hernandez yeah. from now the Jaguares mm-hmm. and and the Pumas. I think um you know in, in in terms of longevity of a career, of course he he has had some injury troubles um of late, but in terms of the service that he's given to the game. Some of the, the the wonderful entertainment that he's provided us as well with his yeah, skillful feats. That's classy. Uh, yeah. and, and and I'm just uh, for, uh, someone that's fortunate enough to uh, to have been a, a very small part of uh, of his journey. But to get to know his professionalism, how he applies himself, how he looks after his body, he's a fantastic family man. Um, you know that, that's uh, that's certainly the whole package for me, um, uh, Andy. Although I don't know how much longer one has left in the game at the top level. Yeah, no, no, he's fantastic, and I think he was he was a big reason why, and everyone's everyone's gotten on board with Argentina and what they do and the style of rugby they play. I, I think he's great. Okay, and what about coaches? Um, who's a who's a coach with a with a profile that you respect and like what they're doing? Uh, another person I know, not that this is meant to be a, a, a name drop because lots of coaches know lots of people, but I guess you can put someone forward if you've got a little bit of an insight as to how they are as a person as well. But uh, my mention here will go to uh, to Bernard Jackman from Grenoble in yeah. France in yep. the top 14. Uh, as I'm sure you, you know Bernard or know of Bernard too, um, sure. Andy, to, to, to come from a really strong playing background in Ireland to, to start as a consultant working defence to get a bigger opportunity, a bigger opportunity to now be a, a, a respected coach in world rugby is just uh, is phenomenal, um, let alone having to learn how to speak French, by the way. Mm, yeah. <laughs> learning, learning rugby's hard enough. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, yeah, I, I follow him on Twitter. He puts out some great stuff and I got pretty excited when he favourited uh, one of our tweets the other day. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm I, a fan I for sure. I saw that. Yeah, I yeah. saw that. Well done. <laughs> no, well done. Very excited. Definitely want to get him what... on the show for sure. Oh, that's good. What it shows me is that he, as many are out there, but but there are there are those amongst us that can be a little bit too cool for school. And mm. uh, for anyone that wants to uh, uh, to to, to to see the model of, of showing that you don't you don't have to be someone at a particular level and change who you are. He's just he's genuinely one of those lifelong learners. He's a top guy, and he's all about sharing and doesn't know any more than anyone else. I mean that's mm. that's the way he portrays himself. He's he, he's he, he's just yeah he's just really good. And I, I think uh, part of the reason why he's doing as well as he is is because he applies himself, he shares himself. Uh, and he's open to new ideas and learning. So well right. done to you there. Awesome. That's good. Perfect. Okay. And um, someone with, uh, last question, someone with um, not as big a profile as Bernard Jackman, um, who's doing great stuff in the in the sport. Well, this person has 
Well, he, he certainly has a little bit of a profile, but it's only just starting out. This this is a, uh, a coach that, uh, unless you're from Brisbane coaching in in the schoolboy competition here, you won't have heard of Daniel Ritchie. But uh, Daniel is someone that, uh, that I've spent some time with over the last uh, couple of years. He's a young coach. I think he's late 20s. He's now just taken on the, the role or been fortunate enough to, to take the role at last year's reigning GPS Premier's Brisbane State High School as the okay, director yeah. of rugby. And oh, I, I think uh, someone that, that's got high aspirations, um, certainly not in any entitled way. He's certainly a hard worker. And a, again, one of these uh, coaches that, that, that he's happy to uh, to look at other, well, he, he had some playing experiences in, in, in Scotland and in Australia, but really dedicated to, to teaching and learning so that he could become a better coach. And, you know, to, to have this opportunity so young in his career, I'd say that's uh, that's definitely an up-and-coming coach right there. All right, great. All right, well, I'll definitely uh, keep an eye out for him and uh, see, see, see how he's getting along. That's fantastic. All right, well, thanks very much, Stu, for... for coming on the show and uh, sharing your knowledge on uh, the very important part of rugby, kick, kick and catch. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate you taking your time out and uh, having a chat with us. My absolute pre- pleasure, Andy. And thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to, uh, to come and share some things that I've learned. Thanks a lot, mate. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at RugbyCoachSCNR or via the website at TheRugbyCoachesCorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.